Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Today is the final day in our seven-week walk through the Apostle John's account of the Last Supper. We know that the Last Supper is in all four of the Gospels. It is the last meal that Jesus has before he is crucified. It is the celebration of Passover that he has with his disciples before he goes to Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross. And this story appears in all four Gospels, but there's one Gospel that takes more time than any other to tell the story, and that's the Gospel of John. So we started at the beginning of the series seven weeks ago in John chapter 13, and tonight we're going to get all the way to the end, which is John chapter 17. We're going to get to John 17 in just a moment, but first I want to take you to Scotland. So in the history of Scotland, there is one preacher whose influence goes beyond all of the rest. He was born in 1514, and his name was, anyone? It was John Knox. So John Knox was a very famous Scottish preacher from the 1500s. I I could describe it to you this way. What Martin Luther was to the church in Germany, John Knox was to the church in Scotland. John Knox, uh, he was exiled from his country and eventually had a very public confrontation with the Queen of Scotland, Queen Mary once said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. John Knox's favorite chapter of the Bible was John chapter 17. So he actually had a nickname for the chapter we're going to look at tonight, and he nicknamed it My First Anchor, because to him it was the part of Scripture that first connected him towards Christ. There's actually a pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico named Skip Heitzig, and he calls John chapter 17 the Lord's Prayer. Now you would say, no, hold on, Dan. The Lord's Prayer is not John chapter 17. That's Matthew chapter 6, which is our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he would say, no, no, no. Is it Matthew chapter 6 is the prayer that Jesus gave to the disciples. It wasn't the Lord's Prayer. It was, it was him saying, hey, here's a prayer for you. If you want something to pray by, you should pray this way. But John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer, because it is the prayer that Jesus prays. John chapter 17 is God speaking to God. It is 642 words. It is the longest prayer in anywhere in Scripture. And I heard it described this way. If the whole of Scripture, if the whole Bible is the tabernacle, then John 17 is the holy of holies, because it is God speaking to God. It is a very special prayer. We're going to do something unique tonight, and we're going to pray through John chapter 17. So as Jesus prays, as we study his word, he is also teaching us how to pray. And I believe that everything that Jesus prays in John chapter 17, we can be praying tonight. And so we're going to read a little bit, study a little bit, and pray a little bit wash, rinse, and repeat, and walk all the way through John chapter 17 tonight. In 1572, John Knox was on his deathbed, and he calls his wife, Margaret, into the room, and he asks her to read my first anchor. She knew exactly what he meant, and so she sat down at his bedside, and she read the words of John chapter 17, the prayer of John chapter 17, 
and she did it over and over again until the great Scottish preacher crossed from this life into the next. Let's read and get started tonight. Here's John chapter 17, verse 1. The word of the Lord says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Did you know that God has placed some of his glory in you? You know, to glorify something really is just to to upgrade it. So if you show up to get your rental car, your economy rental car from Milwaukee Airport, and uh, they give you a Lamborghini, uh, then your Toyota Corolla has been glorified, right? It has been upgraded, and it is, it is better than it was, better than it could have been. You know, Adam was dirt, Eve was a rib, and God glorified them. He took something that was nothing and he made it so much more. You were created in the image of God and you carry with you some of his glory. You should remind yourself of this when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning after you've slept and your hair looks crazy and your breath is terrible. And I want you to look in the mirror and say, I carry some of God's glory. Jesus says, glorify me so that I can give glory back to you. So here's going to be our first prayer for tonight. The first prayer is, let me give glory back to you. You know, we all want things in life. We want health and income and good relationships. What if the thing that you wanted most was to give glory back to God? In verses 2 through 7, Jesus fleshes this out. You know, what does it mean to give glory back to God? In verse 2, Jesus says, you have given me authority over everyone. You know, you know, for Jesus, his authority was over everyone and it was over everything. You know, Jesus raised the dead back to life. He uh, silenced storms with a single word. He had all of this authority, but where did his authority come from? It came from God. His glory came from God. I believe that God has given every one of us some amount of authority. And so what do we do with the authority that God has given to us? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. In verse 4, Jesus says, I brought glory to you, God, here on earth by, how do you do it? By completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus gave God glory. He returned glory back to God by doing the work that he was given. Did you know that the kingdom of heaven is not a vacation club? It is not a sit around the pool and get sunburned. It is not sit there and wait to be served on. The kingdom of God is a living, functional, active kingdom, and God has work for you to do. God has called you. He has a purpose for your life, and when you do the work that God has given you, you give glory back to God. One of the ways that you can give glory back to God is by doing this work. You know, if, if you have kids... Give God glory by caring for your children. If you have a job, give God glory by doing your job well. If your house is a wreck, go clean up your house and give God glory. Go change the oil in your car for the glory of God. Go do a great job at work tomorrow for the glory of God and give that glory back to him by completing the work that he's given to you. There's another way that we can give glory to God. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have revealed you, God, to the ones who you gave me from this world. 
Okay, hold on. So, so who did God give Jesus? God didn't just give Jesus his glory. He also gave him people. He gave Jesus all of his followers, the disciples, you know, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, his father and his mother, every open heart that Jesus interacted with that was welcomed into the fold, God gave those people to Jesus. It was a gift from God the Father to God the Son. I believe that God has given you work, and I also believe that God has given every person in this room people. God has given people into your life. Your friends are a gift from God. Your family is a gift from God. And I understand that sometimes you might think you got the wrong gift, right? Sometimes it might feel a little bit more like a white elephant gift exchange. But God does not make mistakes, and God has given those people to you. God gave your spouse to you. God has given this church to you. And in the people that God has given to you, he gives, and we say, if I can give God glory with the work he gave me by completing it, by doing it well, righteously, how can I give God glory with the people he has given to us? In verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. So what did Jesus do? He passed on the message that was given to him. We give God glory by loving the people that God has given us. You know, the message that God, that Christ gave on, what kind of message was it? It, it was good news. It was good news. Be good news to the people that God has put into your life. As you love them and you care for them and demonstrate the love of Christ, you will give glory back to God. I want to pause here now and I want us to pray this first prayer together. The first prayer is, let me give the glory back to you. I'm going to pray with each one of these prayers for probably a minute. And as I pray, you might connect to my words and want to pray along with me. But I also want to give you permission tonight that as we pray, don't feel like you just need to listen to me. So if you want to take your 60 seconds and you want to just pray, let me give the glory back to you. I don't want this just to be a, a one-sided listening experience. I want all of us to pray together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to give glory back to you. You have been so gracious to us. You have been so generous with us, with the, the work that you have given us, the people that you have given to us. And we just stand amazed at how great that you have been. And I pray, Lord, that out of a spirit of gratitude, you would help us tonight to give glory back to you. It can be so easy in this life to feel selfish and to feel like we have to hold on to everything, to kind of grab it with a fist and hold on to everything that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to act in the generosity of your son. Uh, teach us how to give glory back to you. Let your name be known in this community because we are giving glory back to you, that you would get the honor. Help us with our work. If we are in a frustrating work experience, help us, Lord, to not work for an earthly master, but to work for a heavenly master and to allow you to be praised for the work that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us with the people in our lives that can be very challenging. Those relationships can be very discouraging at time, times. But I pray that you would help us to love the people you have put into our life and let us be good news to them. Help us encourage them and lift them up. And as we do that, I pray that you would receive the glory. And that you would be honored and blessed by the actions and the attitudes of our life. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
in the next section, Jesus is going to keep his attention on the ones that God gave him. You know, when we're praying for someone else, we call this type of prayer intercessory prayer. So interceding for someone else. Not praying for yourself, but praying for someone else. And I want to remind you, as we go through this tonight, what's happening and where we are. Jesus is going to be arrested within two hours of John chapter 17. And this isn't going to come as a surprise to him. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows that later in this night, he's going to be bleeding to death on a cross. And yet, when he has time to pray, who is he praying for? He's praying for others. He is interceding for the ones that God gave to him. And he is calling out to his heavenly father, not for himself, but for others. Uh, Verse 9, Jesus says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. Jesus says, you know, this next season of what happens next is going to be really tough for my followers. Please protect them. Please provide for them. Our second prayer today looks like this. Protect the ones you've given me. Jesus makes a long list of requests here, and I'm going to pluck them out of the passage. So verse 11, he says, protect them. Verse 13, he says, fill them with joy. Wouldn't it be great if the people God has given to you, that God would fill them with joy? Verse 15, he says, keep them safe. Verse 17, he says, make them holy. Verse 17, he says, teach them your word. Jesus knows that living in the world is not easy. If the disciples try and make it through this world, in this world, without God's help, they're not going to make it. I want to remind you, when you think about the people that you love, the people that God has given to you, if they go through this life without God's help, they are not going to make it. And if Jesus needed to be praying, if the, the, the king of heaven, if the son of God needed to be praying for his people, then you need to be praying for your people. You need to be calling out their names in prayer. You need to be praying prayers of intercession like this prayer for the people that God has entrusted to you. You know, the world is not an easy place to live in. In verses 14 through 16, Jesus talks about what it is like to live in this world, like what our relationship should be with this world and why it's so tough. John 17, verse 14 through 16 says this. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. The Greek word that the writer's using here is cosmos, and cosmos, cosmopolitan, you know, means world or worldly But the same word, world, is used three different ways in the New Testament. And I want to just take a moment here and clarify which of the three ways Jesus is using this word. So the first definition is cosmos is the created universe. So God made the world. God made everything that's in it, and God doesn't hate the world that he made. You know, the beauty of the earth points to our creator. His nature is in it. His, his character is in it. The world he created reflects his glory. This is not the world that Jesus is praying about or against right now. Okay, the second definition, cosmos is also the people that God created. 
you know, John 3.16, God so loved the world. Well, he's not talking about his creation. It's not the created universe. He, does, he doesn't love the sky and the stars and Lake Michigan. He's talking about the people that he created. When he uses this word world, he's saying the people, God loves the world. You know, Christ's followers should love the world in the same way that Jesus loved the world. But this is not the world that Jesus is talking about here. This is not the use of the word he's praying about. The, the final definition here is that cosmos is also the fallen systems of the world. So in 2 Corinthians 4, Satan is described as the God, lowercase g, the God of this world. And this is what he means. This is the world that Jesus is talking about. The fallen systems of this world are broken and corrupt and deceitful. They lead the wise into foolishness. They, leave the, they lead the righteous into unrighteousness. This is the world that Jesus is praying against. Jesus says, keep the ones you have given me safe while they are in this fallen system of a world. We all know that we live in a fallen system of a world. And you can love the beauty of God's creation in this world. And you absolutely should love the world of God's people that he created. Those who carry the image of the one and only God in their bodies, in their faces, in their eyes. But this world is a fallen, broken system. And it's really difficult to live here. And so we need to be praying for the ones that God has entrusted to us that he would protect them in this world. It's really interesting. He says, and, you know, there's a, a term, it's called escapism. And escapism in theology just means, like, get me out of here, right? So, like, this is a terrible place. I'm going to go live out in the woods. I need some guns and a bunch of macaroni and cheese in my basement and shut me off from the world, and I'm never going to go in the city of Milwaukee again, Right? And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not take them out of the world. Why? Because there's a lot of work that needs to be done still in the world. There's a lot of people that still need to hear about Jesus. So don't take them out of the world, but I want to pray that you will keep them safe while they are in the world. And so we want to pray tonight. We're going to take a pause here now. We're going to pray that God will protect the ones you've given me. He would protect the ones he's given you. And as we're praying, if you want to say those names out loud of the people that you feel like God has entrusted you to care for, it might be your parents, your kids, your friends, coworkers, people that have been placed into your life, let's take a minute and pray for them. Father, I pray that you would protect the ones that you've given me. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your guidance to be in their lives. It is not easy to live in this world. It is sometimes much harder to affect change than it is to be affected by this world. And I pray, Lord, that you would build up a strong faith in the ones that I love. I pray, Lord, that you would protect family groups in this church. I pray that you would protect friend groups in this church. I pray, Lord, that when the enemy comes to attack, that the barrier against him would be strong. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to dodge the flaming arrows. I pray that you would protect us with the shield of faith that would be an unstoppable barrier around our friendships, around our marriages, around our children, around our parents, around our workplaces. I pray, Lord, that we would see your protection in our lives. We know that we need your help. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would see every soul. I pray, Lord, that as we say names to you tonight, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. I pray for prodigal children, for people who have stepped out of a relationship with Christ. I pray for marriages that are on the brink of divorce. I pray for uh, relationships that have been broken and severed between parents and children. And I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. We're not calling so that we'd be strong enough. We're calling because we know that you are strong enough. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that work and protect the ones that you have given to us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The third prayer looks like this. Uh, Unify the church. Let's read about that. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, so the 12 that that are there with him, but also 11 that are there with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, this is crazy, I love this, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much as you love them. This is so cool. Think about this. Jesus is two hours away from being arrested. And he starts praying for the ones God has given to him. And then he starts praying for you. This is one of the moments where Jesus reveals his deity. There is no way that an earthly man could have imagined this. And he says there at the end of this prayer, he says, I'm going to pray for my disciples. And then I'm going to pray for everyone who will ever believe. And it is only a Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, someone who was, who is, and who will always be, who will sit there two hours away from his arrest and crucifixion, and he will pray for everyone who will ever believe. And he prayed 2,000 years ago for you and me tonight. Because if you believe, you're in the club. And he's praying for you. And he says, it's not going to be easy to be the church. There's going to be some challenging things. Unity is very, very challenging. But I know that they are going to need unity to pull this off. You know, I, you know, and it, it's kind of funny, you know, unity, you think it's, it's the pageant queen answer of like, you know, what do you think would help the world? World peace, right? But for Jesus, the call of unity is not just kindness for kindness sake. It's not just peace for peace's sake, but it is peace with a purpose. And he says, the reason you need to be unified is because, check this out, it is the only way for the world to be redeemed. That if anyone who does not know Christ is going to know Christ, their pathway is for them to look at the church and see the church loving each other. And I got to be honest, we're not always great at it. I opened the message talking about John Knox who was a great Scottish preacher, but um, there was also some trouble along the road for the man, right? So, like, John Knox would not have enjoyed the last month in life together because uh, last week, Lori Guineer preached. The week before, my wife Mandy preached. And uh, if John Knox was here, he would have yelled and screamed and walked out of the room because he firmly believed that women should have no place in church leadership or speaking, right? Uh, John Knox had this feud against uh, the Queen Mary of Scotland, and he openly campaigned for her execution because 
he was a Reformed theology person, and she was Catholic. And when, when two people who both believe that Jesus died on the cross for the redemption of the world openly are threatening to kill each other, it's not a great reflection on the church. Who's been there? No. <laughs> okay, so don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But if I asked you to raise your hand, which I'm not going to, and if I asked you who in this room has left a church, not because they were moving towns, but because they were offended, hurt, because they had a irreconcilable differences in theology or practice, and left a body of believers, I'm sure a lot of us have had that story because it's not easy. Unity is not easy. One thing that I love about this church is this church is a very diverse church. When you talk about age, when you talk about ethnicity and race, when you talk about um, religious backgrounds of whether or not we grew up in church or not in church or in a Lutheran church or, or all of our different and differences from people from around the country, people from different nations. And when you put a lot of people that are very different together, it is always tough. I'm going to tell you the easiest way to have church. The easiest way to have church is to find four people who are exactly like you, who agree with everything that you say, and go down to your basement and have church. It will be the easiest, but you will have a very small church, and you will have a very small heaven. Heaven is large, and if we're going to practice for heaven, it means working for unity in the church. It means having the difficult conversations to take someone who is different than you and finding the common ground of Jesus Christ and moving into that and then doing it over and over and over again. And we got and we got to be pushing that way. We got to pray for unity in the church. It's not easy. I think about unity, it starts, you know, here at Smart, it starts at a table and then it moves to this whole church, and then it moves into the big capital C church. You know, I want to be a people that is thinking about the big capital C church that isn't just pushing the brand of Discover Church or the brand of, like, our side of town or our side of Wisconsin, but that we are always a people who are invested in what God is doing in the world that he loves. So I'm going to take a moment here, and I'm going to pray for unity in the church. Lord, I pray that you would help us. We need your help. We know that there are difficult conversations when you sit across the table from someone and you can't figure out how to see eye to eye. The early church struggled with this, and we struggle with it today. I think the first thing I want to pray for is humility. I know that in our conflict, pride will absolutely destroy us. If we are someone who believes that we are 100% right 100% of the time, we're never going to make it. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a spirit of humility that would come over us individually, over our church, and over the church uh, across the globe that would allow us to move and do the good work in unifying the church. I pray, God, that when the city of Milwaukee, the unsaved people of Milwaukee, look at the church, they would see people loving each other and acting in unity because it is the only way for them to be redeemed. Lord, I pray that if, if that there would be a spirit of repentance about us, that if there are steps that we have made that have broken off relationships, that have operated in disunity, Lord, for, for gossip, for hate, for resentment, for unforgiveness, I pray, Lord, that you would be 
you would send us in a repentant heart that we would have your forgiveness and allow us to live in a forgiving manner to the people of Christ that we would see your kingdom come in this church, in this city, the same way that it is in heaven and that your name would be blessed for it. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, there's one prayer left. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 24 through 26. Let's find this last prayer. Jesus says, Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. The final prayer is this, is reunite the church with Christ. This is the very special occurrence of Good Friday. If you can join us this Friday at noon and have communion with us, if you can't, I would encourage you to find some bread and some grape juice or something and have communion either by yourself or with the people that you're with. The beauty of Good Friday is it is the last supper that Christ's followers had with him until we get to eat with him again one day in the future. It is a part A with a part B that has not been completed yet. You know, you think about prayers that are completed. Like if you prayed, you know, God, I'd really love to have $10 um, to to go to Chick-fil-A next week. Well, if someone gives you $10 before you leave the building tonight, you can take out your big rubber stamp and stamp that prayer finished. You know, like complete. The last prayer of John chapter 17 is an incomplete prayer because it has not been accomplished yet. He says... Father, I pray that one day you will reunite me with my people so that they will be where I am. And that prayer has not been answered yet. And it's the reason that we have communion together as a church family. It's for us to remember that that prayer is still left hanging, that it hasn't happened yet. And it is part of our call as followers of Christ to be the type of people who long to see that prayer stamped, completed, which will happen on the day that we are reunited with Christ. And when we share in communion, when we share in the blood and in the body of Christ, we're saying, Lord, I have to eat right now away from you. But as I'm eating away from you, I want you to know that I have not forgotten you and that my heart longs to see this prayer completed so that one day I can be eating with you again. I know that that day is coming, and I want that day to be in our hearts. I'm going to pray one final prayer here and close up the sermon, and we're going to pray that God would reunite his church with him. Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, that over this weekend, every one of us would feel a little bit of the longing of being separated from Christ. It's like when a family member moves far away or a loved one passes away, and we sit down to a table and someone is not there. I pray that you would remind us this weekend as we sit down to the table of Christ that you're not there, that your Holy Spirit is here with us, dwelling with us, but you are sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting for the day that the church would be reunited with Christ. I pray that you would encourage every Christian in this room to lean forward to that day. And in the waiting, 
in the time that we are still in this world, that we would be working, giving it our best to give glory back to you. I just feel led to pray for anyone in this room tonight who feels disconnected, who feels discouraged, who may be not looking forward to a lonely weekend or a weekend where someone's missing at the table or a a disconnected relationship, a relationship that causes anxiety or tension. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its best work. Let your Holy Spirit bring comfort and peace bring life and wholeness and a river of life to dry places. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your prayers. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we pray to draw close to you and to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for this room. Thank you for every person that's here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.